Good morning. Uh, thank you for being here, first of all. Um, the registration numbers were higher. We think the concern of the world of today. Uh, have you guys heard about the coronavirus? <laughs> <laughs> Might have prevented some from coming. Uh, I appreciate what all of you are doing right now, which is you're sitting in your little pockets, so you're not too intimately close with others. You're keeping a, an appropriate amount of social distancing. Uh, has anybody heard that expression prior to this week? You have, okay. I have never heard of that expression prior to this week, but apparently it's a good uh, practice for us to get into. Um, so we want to thank you for uh, coming. We do pray uh, that it would be a blessing to you. Kevin um, said, having four kids, I'm an expert. Um, uh, <laughs> more so than Kevin. So the interesting thing about marriage and marriage conferences, uh, when you think about a marriage conference, lots of times people don't want to go. Uh, and some of the comments that I receive back uh, about them is, number one, uh, somebody might feel like they have a really good marriage, and they're like, whenever you go to a marriage conference, you only hear about the bad things. We just want to hear about good things that we can encourage one another in. So that could be a fair statement, and maybe some of you, I presume all of you, are in that state, right? So let's assume that everybody's in a good marriage state, and you're only going to be encouraged to, to be reminded of good things. Um, some people are fearful to go to a marriage conference because marriage is not so good, right? They're struggling, uh, or maybe both spouses are struggling, or maybe one spouse is struggling, and they're not actually sure how to move past the struggle stage into getting the help that they need. Uh, so in starting this off, one of the things that I would just say um, definitively, if you don't hear this throughout, I want to start with this, and we'll hopefully end with this. If you are in a place of struggling in your marriage, one of the, the biggest things that we would encourage you with is to find somebody that you can go to to get help, okay? Um, expert is such a strong word, but the one thing I will say in starting this off is, uh, for me, uh, we have been married 25 years, as Kevin uh, pointed out. Uh, the things that the Lord has taught me uh, it took me, I want to say, 20 years to learn most of that, like 20 years of marriage before I started to break free from so many of the things that were negatively impacting our marriage. So now I'm at this point where it's like I'm boiling over with these things to share, not because I'm an expert because I always did things well, <laughs> but because I've been able to learn so definitively uh, all of the things that I didn't do so well. Uh, and then I have this heart to kind of to pass that along. Um, so I don't know where you're at today, uh, whether you might be uh, one of those spouses or both of those spouses that are struggling in marriage. Uh, there are some that are here that are not yet married and, and planning and preparing and thinking about marriage. Or if things are good, um, my heart would be ultimately that each one of us, as we walk through some of these topics together, that we ask the Lord what he's teaching us through this, like individually, not even as a couple, like yourself. Uh, one of the potential negatives is that you come to these meetings uh, and one of the two spouses, if not both of them, end up with sore ribs. Did you get that? Did you get that? Did you get that? 
and, and you're constantly paying attention, but it's you're paying attention because of what you think they need to learn, not so much because of what you need to learn. And, and part of being a, a Christian disciple, a follower of Christ, is really always asking the Lord, what do we need to change? What do you need to do in my life? How do you need uh, to change me? Um, so if you don't mind, I'm just going to uh, open our time in prayer again, and then we'll start diving into this first session this morning. So let's pray. Our gracious <clears throat> and loving Father, we do uh, just thank you for uh, today. We thank you that we can come into this environment uh, to be under the sound of your word, to have your spirit uh, working among us and in our hearts to change us. Uh, Father, I pray that the things that I would say would be of you, the things that are not of you, uh, that you would remove them from people's minds. Um, and Father, you know each heart, each person that is here today and what's needed. So Father, we pray that you would do that work in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start with a spiritual intimacy. But before we get to that, there we go. I want to talk about uh, what we were created for. <clears throat> that we were created for, I think I went too far now. If we can go back one, please. There we go. Forward one. I'm going to set that down because that's not working. So if we can go up two slides, that would be great. What were we created for? We were created to be in intimate relationship with the living God of the universe. And the first passage that we have here is from Genesis chapter 1. So I know what the issue is. You guys are good. I'm not good. So I'm just going to turn around and look so that I can see this. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 and 27. God said, after he's made everything else, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So it says, so created he him, so he created them, male and female, created he them. Uh, if we can go to the next slide, yep, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 and 24. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Well, I think 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 gives us an idea behind that. And we see that we, according to this, my lovely wife is bringing me some water. Thank you. That venti Starbucks. <clears throat> gave me the caffeine I needed, but not the water. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be sanctified. Right? Your whole spirit, soul, and body. So when we think about the triune God who made us in his image, the image in which he made us would be spirit, soul, and body. And when we think about this idea of intimacy, and we'll come back to this, but really intimacy, who has a good definition or a good synonym for the word intimacy? Closeness. Closeness. Oneness. Is that what you said? Yep, that's my definition too. Oneness. 
So closeness for sure, oneness definitively so. I think of the Lord Jesus, even in his prayer in John chapter 17, when he prayed for the disciples that they would be one, even as the Father and the Son are one, that they may be one. And I think when God created Adam and Eve, when he created man and woman, it was to have an intimate relationship, this oneness relationship between the God of heaven and mankind that he created. And the image that he created us in is spirit, soul, and body, the spirit, the thing that would connect us to the living God. Soul, which would encompass all of the things that we're made up of, our mind, our intellect, our emotions. And and today we're going to focus really on the emotional side more than the, the intellectual side. And lastly, we all have a body. Whether we like our body or not, we all have one. Right, So we've got a a spirit, soul, and body. So when you think of this idea of intimacy as it relates to this relationship of oneness with God and between husband and wife, we would want to see our intimacy at all three of those levels, our spirit, our soul, and our body. So, after God said in Genesis chapter 1 that he would create mankind in his image according to his likeness, uh, and we see from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 um, that that likeness is spirit, soul, and body, then Adam has to go through this experience as God would recount in chapter 2 to show Adam that it was not good for him to be alone. God had said... It's not good that Adam's alone, that man should be alone. And what's the first thing that he does after he said that? Made Eve, Bill? Yep, don't worry, honey, I'm not going to go there. I'll stay clear of that. But he brought the animals to him. And as the animals were coming through... Adam was noticing that there was two of every kind, a male and a female. And in that, he said, but there's none that are like me. So Adam had to learn experientially that it was not good for him to be alone, that there is one that he would want to have a much more intimate relationship with. Um, I'm going to go there just a wee bit, I promise. Okay, so for those of you who have dogs, right? Do you love your dog? I don't typically talk about cats, but dogs, right? You love your dog. I mean, they're, they're fantastic, but you would not have an intimate relationship with your dog. It's going to stop at a certain level, or at least it ought to. <laughs> so Adam went through this whole experience, and then... After he realized that there was none that was like him, then God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he did what? Took the rib from his side, and he formed woman. Took the rib from Adam's side and formed, built, created woman. So that Adam, once woman was created and standing in front of him, said, whoa, man. (laughs) Because even though, you've never heard that before? (laughs) 
So even though this is now one that is like him, she was vastly better looking than he was, okay? And we already know that there are still differences between man and woman. They don't exactly, women do not exactly think like men do. Yes, they don't look like men. They don't smell like men. There are so many things that are different, and yet it is one that is like him, so now they can have intimate fellowship. So this is what he says, whoa, man, no, this is woman. Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Isn't that beautiful? Like beautiful from the standpoint of just how God has created us to be in a place of wanting to have intimate relationship with us as individuals. Beautiful from the standpoint that God has designed man and woman, marriage, to be a replication, a representation of that relationship that we can have with the living God. Ephesians chapter 5, the next passage here. How many of you are familiar with Ephesians chapter 5? So it starts in verse 1 by saying, be imitators of God. In verse 18, it talks about being filled with the Spirit of God. And then in starting in verse 22, it starts to talk about the, the husband and wife relationship. It talks in verse 22, uh, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. But then you get to this latter part of chapter 5 and verse 30, where he's quoting, Paul is quoting and saying, we, being the church, are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And then in verse 31, he quotes Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, the reason I love this is because Ephesians chapter 5 is a wonderful passage for us to read as it relates to the husband-wife relationship, for sure. Don't get me wrong. But I think the bigger picture of Ephesians chapter 5 is actually this. In other words, the final fulfillment of all that God designed and desired in the garden when he created mankind to be in perfect fellowship with him was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, maybe there is somebody in the room here today that you don't know the Lord Jesus. You're not saved. You haven't entered into this relationship with Jesus Christ to know forgiveness of sin and to know what it could be like to have an intimate relationship with God. And ultimately, this is what this is talking about. Know him. He has died for you. The spear was put into his side and his blood was poured out so that you could come into that intimate relationship with him, even as in, out of Adam's side, the rib came in order to create the woman for Adam. So the Lord Jesus, out of his side, created the church, his bride. And that's a beautiful picture of what God is intending ultimately to have intimate fellowship with the living God. Now I say this to, to kind of emphasize too, not only is that 
the beauty of this passage is to bring us into that knowledge and understanding that God desires intimate fellowship with you, but the wonderful opportunity that we have as husbands and wives in our marriages to reflect that. Now, when I say that, one of the things that I, I, I'm very careful to say, let me make sure I'm going to say this the way I want to. I think oftentimes in the church, um, we'll talk about this and say uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll say how important it is for our marriages to look good in order to be a good reflection of Christ in the church. Please. Like, I want marriages to look good, and it is a good reflection of Christ in the church, but if you start thinking that the reason our marriage needs to look good is so that we can properly reflect Christ in the church, we're, we're going we're gonna to fail in the process. Because, we're yeah, the focus is wrong. We're now turning it around to be, what can I do to make it reflect that to the world when on the inside our marriage is actually dying? So when I started this and I said, really, one of my biggest encouragements to you is to, if you need help, if you're in a place of struggling in your marriage, to go to somebody for help. Ask if you, like another couple, somebody older that you can go to and say, hey, we're struggling. Please understand, we've all been there. Don't have in your mind that our marriage needs to look good so that we can reflect this. Realize that you will reflect this if you submit yourself to the Lord Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit of God in you. And that will come. But don't be afraid to ask for help in the process. So the great mystery. So intimacy. We already talked about this. Oneness. If we want to define intimacy, define it simply as oneness. So we're going to look at it as we talked about it, the three aspects. If God has created us in this image of spirit, soul, and body, then when we talk about intimacy, we have to look at each one of these things. And that's what we're going to do. Again, for soul, we're looking primarily at emotional intimacy as we go through this today. I was listening to a message from last Saturday, actually. <clears throat> um, and the brother was talking about the different things that were being created uh, and how those things that are created have some or all of these. So, for example, plant life has a body, but no soul or spirit. They're just a living being, this body. Animals have a body, and we're pretty sure they have a soul of some sort. Right? Because they can think, they can feel. When I mean, our dog's name is Mac, when people come over, he just gets like super crazy excited. Like, and sometimes it's just because he heard the sound of the voice. So, like, the moment Olivia walks in, because Olivia, she's, can be loud. <laughs> so, the moment Olivia walks in and says something, Mac will just go absolutely bananas. But if he sees somebody coming in the window, he's just going to get all excited. He can recognize sounds and different things. But Mac has no spirit. Only mankind is made in the image of God where we have all three of these things. And the spirit is going to be the thing that would cause us to say, what is the meaning of life? Why do I exist? 
What am I here for? What purposes do I have? And that's our goal to, to walk through uh, each of these today. So our approach in doing this is to go through and talk first head, foundational truth. We're gonna try to look at it from the, these three different perspective, perspectives, head, heart, and hands. The head is, what is the foundational truth? What are the things that I can learn? What does God's word say about these things? The heart is gonna be, how does that truth lead to conviction? And then lastly, the hands, how do I take that conviction, that thing that the Lord is teaching me to change me, how's that going to then practically outplay what is going to happen, be done as a result of this? So spiritual intimacy as it relates to husband and wife, foundational truth. First of all, the revelation of intimacy through God's word. So we already, I just talked about it as it relates to creation, that God created us in his image to be in intimate relationship with him and look to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you think through all of scripture, and these are just some examples of this, if you think through all of scripture, you see this constant theme of God's desire to dwell with mankind throughout all of it. So in Genesis chapter 2, we already went over. In Exodus chapter 9, uh, when the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt, he said, you have seen what I have done unto the Egyptians, how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. This was not just a deliverance um, from uh, Egypt. That, I would say that that was not God's primary purpose for delivering them, was to save, save them out of the Egyptian bondage. His primary purpose for delivering them out of Egypt was to bring them to himself. Just like his primary purpose for creating us was to create us for himself, right? Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8, build me a tabernacle that I may dwell among you. Because he wanted to be there among the people of Israel. In John chapter 15, we learn about abiding in Christ, in Ephesians 5.18, I already referenced it before, being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So once you're saved, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, once you're saved, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit, verse 16, verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. Jesus Christ himself displayed this need for intimate relationship or this desire for intimate relationship with the Father, Mark chapter 1, when he would rise up long before day and go off and spend time in prayer with the Father. You know, we pray oftentimes because we need things. I should say we pray most of the time because we need things or other people need things. Our whole definition of prayer is centered around asking for things. But the Lord Jesus, when he modeled prayer, wasn't for the purpose of asking for things. It was simply to be in the presence of God, his Father, to be in intimate relationship with him. Isn't that what we should be modeling in our own lives? Like, I just want to, like, take the time to just, and believe me, we'll talk through some the roadblocks to this, but just take the time to, to talk to God, 
to talk to the Lord Jesus, to talk to the Father, to say, Lord, speak to me, share with me, show me. In Matthew chapter 6, he talked about the prayer closet. And one of the things the Lord's taught me about the prayer closet that I'm still learning how to experience fully is there was that verse in there that talks about how the Lord knows of the things that we have need of even before we ask him. Not only does he know what we need before we ask him, he literally knows before we even know to ask, if you know what I'm saying. Like, we think we want to ask for these things. We pray for holiness and sanctification. We pray for our uh, work situation, finances, all kinds of different things. We ask for things. We might even ask for spiritually related things like the holiness and sanctification. But God literally knows all of the things that we need, and he just wants to teach us. He's like, enter into the prayer closet simply so that you can learn of me. Listen to me. Talk to me. I saved you, not just so that you can be a disciple to make disciples, but I saved you because I wanted to bring you unto myself. So throughout all of scripture, you see this revelation of intimacy, ultimately leading up to Revelation chapter 21. And without diving into the details of that, you see the new heaven and the new earth, where there's no more sorrow, no more crying. God will wipe away the tears, no more death, right? Does that sound familiar from Revelation chapter 21? All of these things, God will be, dwell with man and be their God. Jesus Christ will be the light thereof. There will be no need for the sun. All of these things, the spirit, the soul, the body, all of those things are taken care of in Revelation chapter 21. Genesis 1, 2, we were made in his image for intimate fellowship. Revelation 21, this is where God is going and what he wants from us. For each of these sessions, and you'll see this, we kind of came up with this comparison. So the first one is the world versus the temple. And the question is, where are you dwelling? Now, when I talk about dwelling in the temple, I don't mean like literally the temple. You don't need to stay in the church building. But where is your heart and your mind? Are you being constantly bombarded by the things of the world and letting that frame your thinking? Or are you allowing God by his word and by his spirit, direct all of your thinking. It's so easy for us to be bombarded by the things of the world and allow that to frame our thinking. But we need to be dwelling in the place of the temple. So in Judges chapter 3, In the earlier part of Judges and actually the end of Joshua chapter 24, God told the children of Israel to go in and take the land, driving out all of the ites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, the blah, 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 the Perizzites. I don't remember them all, but all the ites, right? So go take the land and kick all of them out. That's what God told them to do. In in Judges chapter 3 and verse 5, it says that the children of Israel dwelled in the land with them, all of the ites. They didn't do what God had said. In other words, they dwelled in the world. 
They allowed the world influence to continue to be the thing that was going to drive their thinking rather than doing what God said, which is drive them out so that you're gathered really just unto me. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, you're familiar with this, I'm sure. Love not the world, neither the things in the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, these things are passing away. In James chapter 4 and verse 4, uh, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And if I can be even a little bit more clear on that, that verse actually starts with, you adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Some of these are hard things to hear, yes? Like, I mean, hard, hopefully, like, again, we're in the heart part, so this is the heart leading, truth leading to conviction. I don't know what that might be for you. I know what those things are for me. But these things are hard to hear and certainly hard to apply. Like, we live in this world... So we are constantly being bombarded by these things, even when you don't want to be. You think of the tabernacle, when they were told to go in, there was the brazen altar first, when they would first walk in, and then after that was the labor. And on the labor, they were supposed to clean their hands and their feet. Why their hands and their feet? Well, the hands are the things that they would be intentionally doing, but the feet is simply because they walk in the world and they get dust on their feet. I remember one time, we, uh, Shona and I went to... I used to work for a company that they would do, it was all across the country, not a huge company, but we were all across the country. So once a year, year they would gather everybody someplace. Uh, For many years it was Naples for all company meeting and they would bring their spouses, which is great. Naples was really nice. One year was Las Vegas. Now, you think, why would you go to Las Vegas? Yes, don't go to Las Vegas, okay? But this was a company meeting. The nice thing about it is the place we were going to be having this meeting was a hotel outside of the Strip. We weren't actually in Las Vegas. It was quite beautiful and and very appropriate. However, the moment you walk off the plane and in the airport, you are bombarded with advertisements that you wish you could cover your eyes and not have to look at. I went to Germany a number of years ago in Berlin business again, Uh, and one, same thing, the billboards that were there, I mean, we think America is bad with a lot of these things. This was 2006, so it was a long time ago, I don't know what it's like today, but um, it was bad. I'm like, and so in this world, we are bombarded with things, we turn on our TV, you watch the Super Bowl, and you think, okay, the Super Bowl itself is going to be okay, and we all like the commercials because they're funny. But there are so many of those commercials that are strongly appealing to sexual things. And then you see something that you didn't want to see. And then we become actually numb to these things. So when I say this, I recognize, please, I recognize that we are bombarded with these things when we don't even have the choice about whether to participate in it or not. It's just in front of us. But these hard sayings are what the word of God is warning us. Love not the world, 
all that's in it, lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, lust of self-exaltation, <laughs> these things are passing away. We need to put our heart and our mind in the things of God, the spiritual realm, that thing that is not driven just like an animal who lives by instinct, according to the soul, the emotions, but rather according to the Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling us and can control us. Okay, roadblocks. What are the roadblocks to spiritual intimacy? And as you can see right now, I'm talking more about the spiritual intimacy of yourself with God. Flesh is contrary to the Spirit. Galatians 5 and verse 17, it wars one against the other. So verse 16 says, walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 17 says, the flesh is at war or is contrary to the spirit. There's just this constant battle within us. Who we are in Adam, who we were created to be, the fallen nature in Adam, is a battle against who we are in Christ. And that doesn't go away, Romans chapter 7, that constant struggle that Paul would even refer to. So we just have this, the flesh that we live in that is a battle against the spirit, and that's a roadblock to spiritual intimacy. Our worldly responsibilities, uh, personal, family, work, ministry, all of these things which are good in and of themselves, as a matter of fact, great in and of themselves, I mean, it's great to be involved with your family and, and to be involved in ministry, and it's great when the Lord's provided you a job to, to provide for your needs. All of those things are things that we need and have, but yet it can distract us from spiritual intimacy with God. Yes? Like, we, we, we start to prioritize things according to those needs rather than according to God's desire for intimate fellowship. Lastly, in terms of a roadblock, is sinful pursuits. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These things that we, again, we wash the feet at the labor because we just walk in this world. James tells us to cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Our hands are dirty simply because of what we do, that we actually pursue after these things, or we might actually pursue after these things. And that, when we have sinful pursuits, when we have sin in our life, is going to be a barrier to spiritual intimacy with God. So intimacy with God. Number one, Psalm 91 uh, tells us to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. That's like the prayer closet. But not just the prayer closet, like I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to go and sit in my office and close the door and have a time of prayer, intimate fellowship with God. That would be helpful and good. But this idea that you're constantly walking in intimate fellowship in the secret place of the Most High, abiding in Him. Abiding in Christ, John chapter 15. And I love that part where he talks about not just abiding in Christ, that sometimes we might think about that phrase and say, well, what does that mean? I know for many, many years I said that. 
like, what does that mean? I still don't know what that means to abide in Christ. And I feel like the Lord's been teaching me over the last several years what that means. But one of the things that he says in there in John chapter 15 is to abide in his love. Rest in the love of the Father. He created you for intimate fellowship with him, and he loves you. So abide in his love. Abide in Christ. Recognize this is what you were created for. And rest in that. And John, or again, Ephesians chapter 5, just as an aside, one of the first things that he says after he says, be an imitator of God as dear children, he says, walk in love. And oftentimes when we hear that expression, walk in love, we think, okay, I need to do something to love. I need to walk in love. I need to figure out how to love in order to walk. And I'm more convinced, and maybe this is just my view, I'm more convinced that what Paul was really trying to say is walk in love that you have from the Father. The Father loves you. Walk in that love. As dear children, right? Be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love. Walk in the love that you have from the Father who loves you unconditionally. And when you start to walk in his love, you will much more naturally start to love others. You're no longer focused on how do I love, but how do I experience the love of God and then be able to play that out in my life. So, abide in Christ, be filled with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. All of these things that allow us to know and experience, and this is God's desire for us, and this is what we can do. This is what the Lord Jesus told his disciples. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. And then Paul goes on to describe those as well. So, I don't know where you're at in this place of the world versus the temple, of knowing and appreciating, experiencing intimacy with God. But before we can even really, and this is going to be one of the things that we talk about in the next slides, is before we can fully experience spiritual intimacy with our spouse, we really need to know and understand. And when I say no, experiential knowledge, just like Adam had experiential knowledge that it was not good for him to be alone. Experiential knowledge of intimacy with Christ ourselves. So now moving to the hands. Conviction. What are those things that the Lord is convicting you of? You can think through that, and we'll give you time for that more. So the roadmap. Number one, personal spiritual intimacy with God, as I just said. Before we can dive into spiritual intimacy with our spouse, we need to know and experience personal spiritual intimacy with God. And don't think we can get around this. Because if you think you can get around that, and you think you can have spiritual intimacy with your spouse, but not have it with God then you're doing the same thing that we talked about in Ephesians chapter 5, where you're trying to make it look like you have a marriage that reflects Christ in the church, but you're not actually doing it. You're coming up with ways to do it, but you haven't actually done it. Be spiritually intimate with Christ yourself. You need to put off intimacy killers, which I have another slide for, so we'll walk through that in detail. You need to enhance spiritual intimacy. 
And lastly, you need to do spiritual check-ins. When I think of spiritual, emotional, and physical intimacy, I think it's very common, and tell me if you agree with this statement. I think it's very common that we will talk about emotional intimacy, emotional differences of opinion within our marriage, and we will talk about physical intimacy, physical issues within our marriage, but how often do we actually talk about spiritual intimacy in our marriage? Would you agree with that, that we tend not to for those that are married? You need to do spiritual check-ins. How's your husband, wife? How's your walk with the Lord? Like, are you praying? Are you reading? Are you spending time with him? Are you enjoying? Are you experiencing that, physical, that personal intimacy with, with God? And husband, it would be our responsibility to lead that conversation, to check in, not to say that we're necessarily more spiritual, our responsibility to be the one to lead in that conversation, but that doesn't preclude the wife from starting the conversation, let's be clear, okay? Doesn't matter really who leads it. The conversation needs to be had, spiritual check-ins. Okay, what are some intimacy killers? Selfishness. Because we're thinking more about ourselves than we're thinking about our spouse. Does that happen to you? No. So, I think I said this a few weeks ago when I was speaking here. Um, when the Lord finally opened my eyes to like how ridiculously selfish I was, you know, it was just such an eye-opening experience. Some of you are like, well, what, was that on your honeymoon? No, it took me a lot longer. And what I said was, um, I didn't think I was selfish, I thought I was right. <laughs> right? Like, you know, <laughs> I'm not selfish, I'm just right. Like, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is what... So selfishness will get in the way of any kind of intimacy, even spiritual intimacy. Secondly, sin in your own life will definitively get in the way of spiritual intimacy. If you have sin that you have not reconciled with God, that you have not confessed and dealt with, that is going to affect your personal intimacy with God, and therefore it will affect your spiritual intimacy with your spouse. Entertainment will distract us from spiritual intimacy because we're filling ourselves with the things of the world rather than with the things of God. Negative attitudes or critical spirit toward our marriage or our spouse will prevent spiritual intimacy and connection. So how do we enhance intimacy? Number one, prayer. Pray for your spouse and pray with your spouse. And these should be consistent patterns of behavior in your marriage. Praying for one another. 
And if we're having those spiritual check-ins and conversations to say, how are you doing? How are things going spiritually? Then it's going to be a whole lot easier to know how to be praying for one another. Now, please understand, we're not perfect in these things. We're growing and learning in all of this. If you don't have a time where you pray with your spouse, and I don't mean to give thanks for the food, <laughs> though that's good too, I would encourage that strongly. That, when you do that, that will prevent some of those barriers from being built in your relationship as it relates to physical and emotional intimacy, not to mention spiritual intimacy. When you pray with one another, you can't... So prayer is... Uh, nakedness before God. Yes? Does that make sense? Like when you go to God in prayer, you are naked before him because you know as soon as you start talking to him, he knows everything. He knows what you think. He knows what you've done. He knows every single thing. You are completely naked. Just like Adam and Eve were naked before the fall, we are naked before God. When you pray with your spouse, you're naked before your spouse in prayer because of this intimacy. And there's nothing you can hide. So if there's sin that you have to deal with, you have to deal with that. Okay, the word of God. Discuss the word. This does not necessarily mean you need to be like doing your Bible devotions together or reading together and all of that kind of stuff. But it does mean that the word of God has to be central to your marriage. What's driving your attitudes, your thoughts, your behaviors. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, when he's, uh, they're giving the exhortation of the children of Israel and saying the word of God, the law, they should meditate on these things when they rise up, when they sit down, when they lay down at night, and when they walk by the way. Meaning literally every waking and sleeping moment, the word of God is the thing that, you're, that is driving your behavior. So if you don't have a time where you're like reading together, that's okay. Are you reading? Are you spending time in God's word? Do you talk about God's word? Is it something that you and your, in your marriage, maybe in your family, that you talk about? What have you been learning as you've been reading God's word? What, what has God been teaching you? What has he been sharing with you in your life? But you can't study together. Let's look at this passage together. Let's walk through this and learn what the Lord's telling us. So prayer, word of God, worship. Uh, one way to worship together is going to church together. Being committed to these sort of things. That we are in community of believers together when we gather together on Sunday morning. And we have opportunities to worship God together. And having that pattern of behavior, that consistent pattern, will drive good spiritual intimacy between you and your spouse. And that's also being under the word and being able to talk about the word uh, afterward as well. And then personal worship, even in the home. And that doesn't mean that you break out in song necessarily. What it does mean is as you think about the things of God that you're able to acknowledge what he's done, how you've seen him, what you've appreciated about him. And you can give thanks to him. Worship him because of who he is. And then lastly, service. So we talk a lot about serving together. This is helpful in a marriage where you can serve together. And I would, I strongly encourage that. I think that is awesome. One of the things that I do love about ministry 
is when you can get couples being there together. Now, they may be doing different jobs. One might be cleaning toilets and the other one cooking. They're not going to switch, okay? But they may be doing different jobs, but they're there and they're serving together. And that's something that's such a joy for me to be able to see and watch and that sort of thing to happen. But the other thing I would strongly encourage in the marriage is encouraging one another, husbands and wives, encouraging each other in the use of their own gifts. God has gifted every single one of us, man and woman, to be used by him in whatever way he has gifted you. And encourage one another in that use of the gift and in service. I love watching Shona working with other people and spending time with them and talking to them. And I gladly encourage her to do so. And sadly, sometimes in the church, it becomes more about the man's role in ministry and less about the woman's. And the woman is supposed to support the man in his ministry. Please, it's both. Equally gifted in different ways and experiences and purposes. And we can be thankful for that. You should encourage one another. So serve together, yes, but also look for opportunities to encourage one another in their individual service in the way that God has gifted them. So spiritual intimacy may best be thought as the power of the Holy Spirit being experienced and released in your relationship. At the end of each session, we're going to take just a couple of minutes to have a time of personal reflection. And I, simply these two questions on there. What is the Lord saying to me through this? And what areas do I or we as a couple need to address? So I'm going to go ahead and, and close our time in prayer. And then we're going to give you a few minutes for this time of reflection, and then Kevin will come up at the end to dismiss and make announcements before the break. So let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we again do thank you for the wonderful truths from your word, uh, with your desire for intimate relationship with us, and for your desire that we would know intimate spiritual relationship with husband and wife together, that, that we don't treat our relationship with you separate from our relationship with our spouse. So Father, we pray that you would just speak to each one of our hearts right now uh, in this moment concerning the things that we've looked at from your word this morning, and just pray that you would speak to us. We pray in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen.